The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Welcome to your Friday afternoon. It's Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We got a busy show planned straight ahead. Ben, how's it going? You have any uh, good Friday afternoon, I hope? Having a great Friday afternoon, Rob. Glad to hear it. I got a, uh, I got a guest watching me. I got a little job shadow. My daughter, Layla, is... Uh, I got her hooked up with some headphones, and she's uh, she's gonna listen to the show. Watch her daddy at work. Okay. We'll see if she makes it through the full two hours. She <laughs> might get bored. We'll see. We uh, we got a busy show ahead. Um, so, Mike, have you heard of the Koch brothers? Anybody who's followed politics for a while has heard of the Koch brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Especially our liberal friends, right? The Koch brothers are doing all sorts of dastardly, nefarious things. Uh, the, the Koch brothers are for the left. What George Soros is for the right, right? This sort of this sort of arch nemesis figure, this sort of figurehead for everything that you don't like about the other side. That's what the Koch brothers are for Democrats. Um, and as a matter of fact, you you routinely see them, whether the Koch brothers are actually involved or not, you'll routinely see um, Democratic politicians fundraise. Like I, I've, in fact, Senator Heidi Heitkamp here in North Dakota has has regularly sent out. Um, fundraising please uh to her supporters talking about how the Koch brothers are out to get her and they're out to defeat her and the Koch brothers are doing this and everything uh well today uh americans for prosperity which is one of the main groups in the uh the, the, the Koch brothers network of groups uh released i mean they announced that they're releasing a digital ad praising senator heidi heitkamp for voting for banking deregulation Confusing the hell out of everybody, which was literally my headline when I wrote about it. Um, really? Yeah. So the Koch brothers praising Senator Heitkamp in an ad today, and everybody is confused. Anyway, here to on to talk with me about it at 1230 is Mike Fedorchek. He is the state director for Americans for Prosperity. Uh, we'll get the scoop on that from him at 1230. Also coming up at 1 o'clock uh, today, Governor Doug Burgum uh, held a, uh, a press conference and they announced that they are partnering with the Greater North Dakota Chamber of Commerce. They're going to be doing an employer survey to address workforce shortages. And we've talked a lot about that. In fact, we talked a lot about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Is what we as a state can do. You gave me some in order to. On that. Oh, we did. I gave everybody some homework mm-hmm. on that. Anyway, we're going to talk with uh, Labor Commissioner Michelle Comer about that. Um, you know, basically, what what can we do? And I, I guess this survey is is the start of the the Bergam administration taking a shot at this um it's certainly not a new issue for north dakota but it is a a constant issue i mean in north dakota the problem is never high unemployment rate you know north dakota always has a low unemployment rate and i think the problem there is is if you're here you work and if you don't have a job you leave and that's maybe maybe this this sounds counterintuitive but that is actually a problem Mm -hmm. that is so anyway, 701-293-9000, tonight. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can send me tweets as well, at Rob Port. Um, we'll talk with Michelle Comer about that. And then at 1.30, uh, guess what today is? It's an anniversary today, Ben. An anniversary? 
Today is the one-year anniversary of the Dakota Access Pipeline beginning to pump oil. Really? It became operational a year ago today. So we're going to talk with Craig, Craig Stevens from the Gain Coalition. They were one of the groups supporting the building of the pipeline. We'll talk with them about that and, and what that pipeline has meant um, to North Dakota because I, I, I'll tell you, it's a pretty big deal. Cutting through you know, a lot of the violent protests around the pipeline and everything else, that pipeline is a big deal for North Dakota. We'll talk with him about that at 1.30, uh, plus phone calls, plus questions. But anyway, back to this Americans for Prosperity thing. Uh, it's, it's remarkable. It is remarkable that a, a Koch-funded group, right, the, 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 again, the evil Koch brothers. I mean, if, if, you, if you listen to people on the left talk about politics long enough, you'll hear them blame something on the Koch brothers, whether they actually deserve to be blamed for it or not. It's just they've, they've, they've risen to that level where they're just this sort of scapegoat for everything that the left hates about the right. Uh, and now they're out embracing Senator Heidi Heitkamp. I-, I wonder what the political dynamics of that are. I mean, what, is, what does that do to Senator Heitkamp? Because, Ben, we've, we've been talking a lot about in the last couple of weeks, Senator Heitkamp and her campaign working very hard to snuggle their candidate up to Donald Trump to the point where the North Dakota Democratic Party has been literally mocking Kevin Kramer because Heidi Heitkamp got to stand closer to Trump at a bill signing than Kramer did. You know, and it's it's all these things. Kramer supposedly man. Yeah. And we made some national news on this program earlier this week where, uh, yeah, Politico and The Hill and some other places picked up our interview with Congressman Kramer because he kind of took a shot at, you know, the White House legislative director, you know, saying, oh, well, if he was doing a better job, we'd have passed, you know, health care reform. So so Kramer, th- there is some truth behind the idea that, that Kramer is, I, I think, feeling a little prickly that the Trump administration's playing too nice with Heidi Heitkamp. Um, but now, I mean, you got to wonder what the left-wing people in Senator Heitkamp's base are thinking at this point, because I... I, I Everybody knows it's it's no secret at all that Senator Heitkamp has to move to the right politically in order to get reelected in North Dakota. Right. Mm-hmm. She's been she's been at, at the beginning of her six year term in office back in 2013. If you look at her voting record, and I wrote my Sunday column about this. You can read about it in print on Sunday. Um, she started out her term in 2013 voting pretty far to the left. As she's gotten closer to Election Day, according to vote ratings from Congressional Quarterly, uh, she has moved a lot further back to the center. That's a political strategy. Her predecessors in, in North Dakota office, Kent Conrad, Byron Dorgan, both former senators, did the same thing. If you looked at their voting trends, they looked like sine waves. Right right after the election, they'd be very far to the left. They get closer to Election Day, they move to the middle. And then after Election Day, they move back to the left. Senator Heitkamp's trying to do the same thing. But you got to wonder, I mean, now in the last week we have, uh, oh, look, Senator Heitkamp got to stand so close to Donald Trump. Oh, look, uh, she's, she's running a radio ad talking about how often she votes with Donald Trump. She's running a, a television ad, a video ad, uh, bragging about all this all this um, uh, praise that she's gotten from Republican senators. And now the Koch brothers come out and run an ad. I mean, if you're a liberal in North Dakota, you got to be saying, what the heck? I'll be wondering which party she's actually running for at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder, I mean, at some point, and, and again, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Kevin Kramer's a little miffed by all this, as, as you might expect. I mean, he's clearly, when he's taking a shot at the White House policy director on this program, making national news with it, obviously, the guy's a little miffed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the guy's in a position where he is not happy the way the Trump administration is handling this. So you have that, first of all. 
But on the other hand, you got to worry, is there a point at which this goes too far for Heidi Heitkamp? Is there a point at which all the, oh, Trump loves me, oh, I got to stand next to him at a bill signing, oh, I vote with him more than 50% of the time, oh, look at all these nice things Republicans say about me, oh, the Koch brothers have praised me for my vote on banking deregulation. Is there a point at which that becomes a political liability? Is there a point at which, A, it disgusts her liberal base? Now, granted, there aren't enough liberals in North Dakota to elect her. So she always has to appeal to Republicans. And I think I think I think her her progressive base, her, her left wing base, the Democratic base has a has a degree of pragmatism, understanding that that's just what she has to do to hold office, understanding that she's going to vote a lot further left than she campaigns. But the, I mean, there's a there's a point at which they just get disgusted with it, though. I think there's that. On the other hand, also, is there a point where her facade goes too far, where she moves so far to the right, where it's just not believable to to right of center voters? who might be saying, okay, well, she's kind of a moderate Democrat. She's kind of a conservative Democrat. Is there a point at which she moves too far to the right and it just becomes a caricature? It just becomes a caricature of a liberal politician uh, trying to cloak herself in conservatism in order to get reelected in a state like North Dakota. And I, I think she may be getting to that point. She may be getting to that point where she's gone too far to the right. Love to hear you th- what you think. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. So I think that's interesting. On, an, on another front, boy, did we get some good economic news today. Ben, did you see this economic news that came out? Haven't yet, no. Unemployment rate down 3.8% in May. Uh, outside of a, of a – it hit that low in April of 2000. Actually, yes, I did And then see again – and then previously, it hasn't been at that at that rate since 1969. Wow. That's how often. Since 1969, there's been one month, April of 2000, that we've been, had like a sub-4% unemployment rate. Uh, the economy is is roaring right now. And by the way, it's not just the unemployment rate. I mean, the unemployment rate is not the be-all, end-all of economic indicators. It's a lot of things. Labor force participation is looking great. The unemployment rate among 16 to 19 year olds has fallen from 14.1% to 12.8%. The percent, the, the employed percentage of Americans stands at 60.4%, well, uh, still well below pre-recession levels, but improving. We had a 207 jobs over the month. And, and here, here's a big thing. I, I think this is probably the biggest mm-hmm. economic news out of all of this is wages are 2.7% higher than a year earlier. So wages growing fast, and all that is coming at a time when inflation is it growing that fast. Now, previously, when we have had this low of unemployment rate, we get a lot of inflation, right? Because mm-hmm. what happens is you create a lot of – you get to a point where the, unempl- the, the labor market is so competitive and employers are so desperate to find workers that they have to pay more. But then when they pay more, they have to raise prices. And that creates price inflation, which is not sort of a sort of a negative side effect. Believe it or not, the unemployment rate can actually be too low. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to be talking about with North Dakota later in this program when we have the labor commissioner on. There is a point at which your labor force can be too too tight. The unemployment rate can actually be too low at times. So we'll talk with uh, the labor commissioner about that later in the program. But in terms of this national news, you know, that's that's something. Except nationally, the inflation's been pretty okay. We're not seeing runaway inflation and and so i I think a lot of people are saying well we saw unemployment fall under the obama administration this is just a continuation of a trend that he already started now that's a talking point for the democrats but they are focusing exclusively on the unemployment rate a lot of the things that we didn't see during the obama administration we actually saw a decline 
in labor force participation. As a matter of fact, that's why that unemployment rate kept falling, because the unemployment rate's not just um, you know, a percentage of all the people working versus all the people not working. It's all the people who are available to, to, to work. The reason why the unemployment rate kept shrinking under the Obama administration is people kept falling out of the, the, the labor pool. And so the percentage would fall because people would give up looking for work. That's how bad things were under Obama. I, I, what, under Obama, what we had was a false recovery. And I think what we're starting to see under Trump, and I think a lot of it has to do with a tax reform package that he passed last year. By the way, a tax reform passage that Senator Heidi Heitkamp voted against. What we're seeing right now, I think, is the beginning of a real recovery. Because if you drill down below some of these top-level numbers that we talk about all the time, and you start looking at wage growth, you start looking at labor force participation, you start looking at, at unemployment rates among specific demographics, these are strong, strong numbers. The economy is roaring right now. As a matter of fact, even this was the headline, Ben, from the New York Times, of all places. The New York Times, not exactly a publication known for being friendly to Republicans in the Trump administration. This is their headline, Ben. Listen to this. We ran out of words to describe how good the job numbers are. <laughs> That's the headline from the New York Times right now. Wow. It's, it's, it's remarkable. By the way, uh, black unemployment has never been closer to the white unemployment rate. Unemployment rate among black Americans is the lowest in recorded history. Good. Yeah. Strong, strong numbers. That's great. That's what we want. We want mm-hmm. prosperity for everyone. In the United States of America. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Just talking about some of these strong labor numbers. But we were also talking about uh, the Koch brothers, or at least one of their groups, Americans for Prosperity. And by the way, in the next segment, going to have Mike Fedorchik on from Americans for Prosperity to talk about this. Because, I mean, it's eyebrow-raising. I mean, the Koch brothers are praising Senator Heidi Heitkamp, a Democratic senator. Um, so we're going we're, we're gonna to talk about that. Anyway, email from Janet. She says, can you go one day without going on and on about Heidi Heitkamp? God, it's never ending with you. That's what she emails it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, Ben. I mean, the Koch brothers just endorsed Heidi Heitkamp. I'm not endorsed right, that, her. I shouldn't that's say something that. to talk They're about. They're praising though. Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I got to talk about that. Right. Like that's you know, it's a new you story. Know I, you know, what I think that email's born of. I think that's I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Where I don't think that Heidi Heitkamp's liberal base is enjoying this right now. I don't think they're enjoying her going on and on about oh, Trump loves me. I don't think they're, they're, oh, look at look at all these Senate Republicans who love me. Look at how often I vote with Donald Trump. Look at how close I got to stand with Donald Trump at a bill signing ceremony. Oh, now the Koch brothers are are, are praising me for my vote for banking deregulation, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you want to talk about North Dakota is a state, the, the nonpartisan league, which is now part of the North Dakota Democratic Party, their big accomplishment was starting a state-owned bank. Because they hate the banking industry. And now, now the, the, the top candidate for the Democratic Party nonpartisan league is getting praised by the bete noir of the American left, the Koch brothers, is getting praised for voting for banking deregulation. Can we pause and just for a moment admire what's going on here? I mean, Ben, we are through the looking glass right now. This is weird, weird stuff. 
weird, weird stuff. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com on Twitter. Nancy says the Koch brothers shouldn't really confuse everyone. Every decision they make is about the direct effect on their businesses. Unlike Soros, whose ideology, while abhorrent, is constant, the Koch brothers have no ideology other than money. I actually think that's wrong. I actually think what the Koch brothers, what they have always said, right, and at least in my experience, what I have seen out of their group, what I have always said is that they are, they put, they're, they put issues over political parties, right? I, I think I think that now, generally, yes, the Koch brothers are sort of, I, what do people describe them as, sort of libertarian conservative figures. Um, but generally speaking, you know, and, and so that, I think that probably leads them to, to support, obviously, Republicans more often than Democrats. But I, I, I think this is honestly in character for them. I don't know that this is necessarily what's best for the bottom line for the Koch brothers. I think that the Koch brothers are just principled. And they're not necessarily above praising a Democrat when the Democrat does something that feels right. And and to be fair, they're probably out there um, doing some of this because, again, Ben, when it comes back, people are going to, you know, if, if they run critical ads against Heidi Heitkamp, you know, people say, oh, well, you're the Koch brothers. Of course you hate Heidi Heitkamp. Well, they can point back to this ad and say, no, we praise her when we think she gets it right. Which I think is the right thing to do when, regardless of the party, if a politician does something you like, you should recognize them for that. Probably this gives them more credibility. Yeah. I mean, this, I, mm-hmm. I think this probably gives the Koch network more credibility because they can, they can legitimately say, hey, uh, when Heidi Heitkamp voted for banking deregulation, which we liked, uh, we supported her. We praised her. You know, And I, I think, I th- again, that email for that Janet just sent in a moment ago, hollering at me she's writing in all caps she's angry at me because oh my god why why are you gotta talk about heidi heitkamp every day well uh because there's news on it every day and i think actually what that's motivated more by is uh shut up because we're tired of hearing about heidi heitkamp is we left wingers are tired of hearing about how our number one democratic candidate in north dakota is uh basically campaigning as a trump ally basically campaigning as i mean Honestly, I, I remember when Senator Heitkamp ran in 2012. Ben, the mm-hmm. nor, the NDGOP jokingly, like at, at the the chairman at the time, it was it was Gary Eminence, as a matter of fact, who ran for the U.S. Senate for a little while this cycle. He's running for the state Senate in Bismarck now. At the time, he was the chairman of the North Dakota Republican Party. Sent out a press release jokingly offering Heidi Heitkamp a membership of the North Dakota Republican Party. <laughs> really? Yeah, they had like a membership card printed up for her and everything. Oh wow! And I I think I think that's. The way I mean, she's they kind of now. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's election year, and all of a sudden, oh look, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a Republican too. Senator Heitkamp says. Well, how you long know, do you and, think and, that's, how long do you think that's going to last after the election is done? Well, not very long. I mean, no. uh, here, here. So here's the thing: she did that in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. And and to the point where the NDGOP jokingly offered her a membership in their party. 2013, she votes with President Obama over like over 95 percent of the time. Votes with his agenda over 95 percent of the time. Votes with her, her fellow Democrats over 90 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So she campaigns almost right of center, right? She campaigns as a Republican and then governs those first couple of years in her term. She governs far to the left. Now, since then, over the course of her term, as we've gotten closer to the reelection year here in 2018, uh, her her voting record has moved back towards the middle, but. It's hard not to see that as political pragmatism. Like, I, I don't know that that's really her ideology. I think Senator Heitkamp is a left-wing liberal. 
I think that she calculates her votes and she calculates her messaging and her positioning to look like a moderate, to look like a centrist. I think that Senator Heitkamp can be counted on to go as far left as she could possibly go while still getting reelected. I think that's her big strategy when she's in office. Now, it's an election year right now, so she's going full on. I'm a Trump supporter. I'm a, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I, I get praised by Republicans all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that's what she's doing right now. Now, the Koch brothers, an independent group, is helping her with that narrative by endorsing her. And I, I can't imagine that the Kramer campaign's very happy about that. I haven't spoken with anybody from there. But certainly, when Congressman Kramer was on this show earlier this week, uh, he was ripping the White House legislative director. Um, so I, I think he's a little cheesed off right now about Trump. And, and, and now I imagine the, co- the you know, Americans for Prosperity uh, being a little too friendly with his opponent. Well, he's, you know, he jumped into this race. Right. Remember, yeah. Kramer didn't necessarily want to get I mean, Kramer initially turned down this race. He was talked into running by Trump. And, um, you know, and, and now, I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of being helped out. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, uh, but we're going to keep talking about this. Uh, we're we're going to have on Mike Fedorchek from Americans for Prosperity on the program next. We'll talk about his group, one of the most hated by Democrats, one of the most hated by left wing Americans. Praising Senator Heidi Heitkamp. More to come straight ahead on the Rob Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. My guest now, we've already been talking about it. My guest now is uh, Mike Fedorchek. He is the state director of Americans for Prosperity here in North Dakota. The group uh, that is, uh, well, I mean, they're funded at least in part by those infamous Koch brothers that, that you know, so many people love to bash. Uh, but today, surprising a lot of people after after, by the way, uh, being critical of Senator Heitkamp for her vote last year uh, against uh, the Trump tax reform. Now praising her in, in new digital advertising for her vote for banking deregulation here to talk about with me about it. Mike Fedorchek. Mike, how's it going? Rob, hello. Thank you for having me on. So tell us, I mean, this this ad's raising a lot of eyebrows. Tell us how it came to be. What are you saying? That there's some confusion about <laughs> Where we yeah. stand on politics? Yeah, I can appreciate that. You know, I think one of the, you know, when you say the Koch brothers, I think a lot of people have a preconceived notion of of what they stand for, and they get lumped into like these politically active groups. And although their interest in poli- politics is is there, they're really we are more interested in policy. And so, you know, I don't want to confuse that this is somehow that this thank you is about politics. It's about policy. And one of the differentiate, the the way we differentiate ourselves is that we see good policy. We're going to say, okay, this policy makes sense. You're trying to deregulate what was already overregulated. You're trying to give middle America a break with some banking regulations that have choked off, not the big players, but the, you know, the people that need access to good banking to start businesses and everything else, especially in small communities, this was a, this from a policy point, um, this was, it's good policy. And by no means is this under any, is this a supporting or an endorsement of Senator Heitkamp. This is merely if you, if you make good policy and if you are responsible, you'll get a thank you. And I think it gives us credibility to say, you know what, we're not just always looking at this through political lens. We look at this through policy. 
701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Okay, so so here's here's the thing I've been hearing from a lot of Republicans today. Because they're saying, okay, we get we get Senator Heitkamp voted the right way on this one particular issue, so now you're going to put a thank you ad up uh, because you think you want to praise her when she's good. Because the stance is, and you're right, maybe it does give the group some credibility. You praise her when she's right. You, you criticize her when she's wrong. It's not just that you're against her no matter what what she does. But here's the argument I'm hearing some, for some people, and I realize your group's not a political group. But the argument I'm hearing is that, well, Americans for Prosperity obviously supports a specific platform of ideas. I don't think it's a hard argument to make that Kevin Kramer overall, if he was elected to the Senate, would probably more often support, you know, be have the position that, that your group would want on a given issue than Senator Heitkamp is. Uh, so now you're dropping this thank you ad in the middle of a very heated U.S. Senate race at a time when Senator Heitkamp is already trying to closely align herself with Donald Trump, trying to closely align herself with certain Republicans who have been, I mean, I mean, this is from her marketing. I mean, this is from her advertising. This is from her social media messaging. You know, she's trying to align herself with President Trump, trying to align herself with other Senate Republicans, you know, basically sort of in some ways trying to um, campaign as a Republican. And then in this race, all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the, the quote-unquote Koch brothers drop this ad, uh, maybe helping defeat a candidate who's going to ring the bell for you guys more often than not. I can appreciate that point of view. 100%, I certainly can. But, you know, what I think is fun is that Senator Heitkamp has recently really been touting her conservative nature and her uh, rock-solid policies that, you know, have been praised by Republicans. I don't know. Maybe she should just convert to the Republican Party. She's so proud of her conservative, you know, movement. But this has nothing – you know, this this was not a – this wouldn't be – I don't know that this would get any attention if this were an off year and we thanked her about a policy that but because it is an election year, I can understand the I can understand the criticism and I can understand the attention that it's drawing. And yeah, it, it can you know, it could be a head scratcher for some people. But if you take that off the table, if you just say like principled, you know, long term play, we look at policy and we want good policy. Now again, the landscape is there's going to be a hotly contested Senate race going on until November. And I get that. But if you just said, okay, we're looking at policy and what, how do we help people? Because the one thing that, that the organization never really gets credit for, there's a lot of bad press about, you know, the evil Koch brothers. I've heard this. But one driving force is that we want prosperity for all Americans, and that starts from – the bottom all the way to the top. Everybody should have the opportunity. And so when we see good policy, we have to support it. Now, you can you can openly criticize when that's done and how it's done. I can I can certainly understand that, but this was again not an endorsement. And we have we have more than done our fair share of of criticizing Senator Heitkamp on bad policy. She did not vote for tax reform. And that has proven to be an absolute win for everybody. And we hammered her on that. And you know what? She's done some other – she has other policy issues out there that, that we will also hold her accountable for. But in order to be critical of her when she is dead wrong, we'll uh, – well, you know, we're not – we'll tip our hat. You know, we'll give her a – and if she continues to, to – uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what a tight Senate race can make people do. 
I have a uh, I have a, qu- a question from a listener asking if Americans for Prosperity is doing ads supporting every Democrat who voted for the banking bill, or is this something specific to Senator Heitkamp? No, they've done a. Um, I didn't see exactly who was on that list, but no, there's there's a lot of thank yous going out. I don't know that it, she was not the only Democrat, but um, there was other Republicans too that just you know people that co co co-spons- sponsored policy and were actively involved in getting it getting this bank regulation uh, reformed a little bit was, yeah, so she wasn't the only one. This wasn't like she was the beacon. And again, you could take Senator Heitkamp's name out of it. You really could. It was who is this good policy? And and that's what it's based on. Uh, we have a, uh, I, in fact, former uh, state representative Betty Grandy, who's also a uh, forum communications columnist, uh, she just tweeted at me. She says, no confusion here. Saw it coming, but this rips out most of the Democratic playbook. I can't remember the last time I was attached, uh, attacked that they didn't accuse me of being a Koch brothers lackey. And I, I think that is kind of funny. I've actually also, I mean, Senator Heitkamp's, one of her campaign flacks, Julia Krieger on Twitter, and I posted about this on SayAnythingBlog.com today. Uh, I mean, she's actually attacked me, accusing me of being some sort of a Koch brothers lackey, which is which is not not true. Um, but I, I think it's funny because I, I mean, again, I mean, Senator Heitkamp's campaign has sent out ads using, I sent out you know fundraising, please using the Koch brothers as a boogeyman, uh, and now hear the Koch brothers praising her and not endorsing her, as, as you said, but certainly praising her for this specific vote. I mean, that's a very odd political dynamic. Uh, no, I don't disagree, and I, I would be careful not to say praising her, praising good policy. And I think the fact that, you know, what makes this news is that a, a you know, if the Koch brothers had praised a Republican, it wouldn't be news, right? But if you say, if you get, you can get a little press if you say, okay, we're going to praise a Democrat for going against the party. And But here's what I want to see is that when we hold her accountable in other areas, which we will, I want to know if the, she has the same reverence and the same uh, media attention drawn to the fact that she's done a lot of bad policy out there and she's going to be held accountable for it. And ultimately, okay, so you know that and, – and like you said, the Koch brothers can be your – you know, they love – everybody attaches this to the Koch brothers and they try to make them the boogeyman of, you know, from who knows where. But, you know, these guys are driven on principle and, um, you know – and this was a this was strictly a policy issue, Rob. It, it, it is it is interesting though. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Um, I and another another question. Uh, why not? Why not also thank Kevin Kramer and John Hoven for voting for the banking bill? I mean, they all, if it's if it's just about the policy, why not thank all three together? You know, it'll be interesting to see when the uh, what the digital ads have in them. I have not seen them yet. I don't even know if they're uh, officially out or up yet. Um, and we'll see. Uh, the CNBC uh, had one, and it just it, the, the one I saw that CNBC posted just had Senator Heitkamp in it. But of course, I don't know if that's the entirety well, of the campaign. I guess I don't know. Exactly right. And um, but you know what makes press obviously is that is exactly what I said. You know, this is this is for. MSNBC and CNN and everybody else, this is a, you know, they want to spin this into a look, you know, this even, you know, even the Koch brothers endorse this type of policy. Well, you know what? Make good policy. You know, I mean, if, if you're voting, and again, I don't like to use Republican Democrat, but 
if she's voting with Republicans because it's good policy, well, then that to me says that Republicans have better policy out there. Or that what you're doing, if you're going against your party, it tells me that your part, if you have to go against your party, your party's not doing what's right. And they're not doing what's right for middle America. So the more she yeah. goes against her party, the more she votes against her party, the more she differentiates herself from her party, the harder she runs right. Okay, so we tip our hat to that. Fine. But ultimately, you're getting praise for good policy because you're going away from your party. I mean, that to me is the contrast here. We're not praising you for a bill that the Democrats forced through that was good for middle America. We're trying to reverse overregulation. We're trying to reverse the crunch that you're putting on middle, middle America, which means you're going away from your party. So as long as she runs away from her party, as long as she tries to, to move to the right, move to sound, good policy that's great for middle America, she'll get a tip of the hat. So the other thing I've heard, because I've, I've obviously had a lot of, of Republican listeners and readers and stuff emailing me today about, about this news, saying, you know, how, how could Americans for Prosperity do this? They're going to help defeat a candidate who's going to support policies they like more often than not, certainly more often than Senator Heitkamp. I, I honestly think that's a fair assessment. But, but the, other, the other side of the coin is I've had some left-wing people saying, well, this is just the Koch brothers running a false flag. Right, where they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna damn her by praising her, right? Because they know how toxic they are about the left. So because she's going so far to the right, this is just the Koch brothers trying to push her over that cliff. What do you say to that? Yeah, I know. I know you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I, you know, the fight yeah. about if you and I, I don't know the Koch brothers. I don't. And if you just go on what? Yeah, I don't know them either. I wish I had half no. the money they've supposedly paid me over the years. Yeah, right. Me too. That'd be awesome. I know that. Um, but they're, you know, everybody has been villainized. They're the worst thing ever. But if you, they are principled, principled people, and and I'm not a defender of the. I don't I don't sit up here and think, oh, they're they're, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be a a Koch brother apologist or anything else. But they are very principled. They don't comp. They don't have to compromise. They they do a lot of things that people. Don't give them credit for. They're just they're easy to villainize through the media, and that's what happens. And so, when they do something, uh, they rarely get credit for when they are they're doing very charitable and openly. Uh, they're you know big into prison reform and trying to help people get out of jail and stay out of jail. You never hear about that. Um, they're probably defer quite, a, or they probably are on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to immigration. They want to help people come to America and enjoy prosperity. So you never hear about those policies, but when it's an opportunity to make them look like uh, villains, people take it. So, yeah, you know, I, I feel you, Rob. What, uh, what, what, what more do you have? And, and again, I mean, I, I want to, I want to make it clear politics aside. I mean, ultimately the, the point of politics is policy, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole point is we're all trying to get people in office who will support the policy that, that we want um you know I, I think the eternal struggle is you know i mean senate terms are long and you know do, do, do senators do things in election years uh that maybe they wouldn't do in in non-election years because it's pragmatic and they want to get elected yeah and i think senator heitkamp does that i think byron dorgan and kent conrad uh, did that before them because they're democrats from a right-leaning state and i think they've got to be more conservative closer to election time during those long senate terms than they do uh, otherwise so i mean that's the eternal struggle but i i do want to appreciate i mean sometimes you do have to cut through all the political considerations and just say good policy is good policy um 
I'm not sure that I agree. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, if, if it was just about policy, I, I, I would hope that, that, that the group would also praise Senator Hoven and, and Kevin Kramer because all three of them voted for this, this legislation. But, you know, I, I guess that is what it is. Um, Mike, thanks for your you time. Appreciate it. Anything, anything else to add? I could, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is like politics 101, especially – and this was written, I think, I think you go back to Quentin Burdick. You know, you, you go back and you say, okay, when policies are due, North Dakotans are common sense, hardworking, you know, no baloney people, and and we don't. And so, yeah, these guys figured out that if we, the more the more we separate from the Democratic Party, the more we move to our to our roots in North Dakota, the more successful we are. And my gosh, I mean, I'm starting to think Senator Heitkamp might be Donald Trump's vice president. There, you know, she's trying to nestle in there so so much. So, I mean, this isn't. Like you said, there's politics and policy, and I know the landscape is under the micro- microscope with, with the Senate race and that this can be easily criticized or misconstrued as support. It is not. It is do good policy, get a tip of the hat. Do bad, bad policy, we will see you down the road in accountability. So, But I, I know exactly what you're saying, and, and yes, and I, I, and I can even appreciate some of the confusion. Mike, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Have a great week. That's Mike Fedorchek, uh, North Dakota Director of Americans for Prosperity, the uh, the Koch Brothers-funded group that is praising Senator Heitkamp now on new digital advertising for her vote in favor of banking deregulation. This is the Rob Report. Uh, we'll wrap up the first hour right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think of that, Ben? I mean, obviously, we, we spent a, a good chunk of the first hour sort of talking about this situation where, um, you know, you, you have a, a Koch brothers, a, a backed group um, supporting uh, Senator Heitkamp. I mean, again, the, the Koch brothers are these these villain figures to the left. And here they are supporting a Democrat. Now we have the, the state director just sort of explaining. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's perfectly reasonable to give somebody support if they are doing a policy that you like, regardless of what party they're going on. Um, it makes sense to me that they would want to do that and give that recognition if they thought it was such a good thing. So I don't see why anybody would want to vilify Heidkamp for this for somebody saying, good job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, uh, it is. It is just just, just a good job, a good situation, and, and, and probably not such a bad thing. Yeah. Like, I can see what uh, what you're talking about with, like, maybe some people on the far left. I don't believe that conspiracy some people had of, like, oh, this is um, – they're trying to make her look uh, not as good to the left. I think that's just a load of, you know, and yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think that's probably too cute by far. Like, yeah. I I think somebody's connecting a few too many dots there, mm-hmm. where they're like, well, what they must be doing is they're trying to make her toxic. Although I do think that could be a side effect. Right. I mean, I think there could be a point. I mean, because we've already spoken about. Uh, the, in fact, the Associated Press, we, we started the week talking about it. The Associated Press over the holiday weekend had a report talking about uh, Senator Heitkamp having probably softer than usual support in Indian country in North Dakota on the on the reservations, the Native American communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, you had former uh, Standing Rock Sioux chairman David Archambault. You had uh, Marlo Hunty Bobrun, who was uh, the Democratic Public Service Commission candidate last cycle. Uh, you had them coming out and saying, "Listen, we're not we're not going to support Senator Heitkamp this time around. She's moved too far to the right." In their specific instance, they thought she was too pro oil. Pro oil. Uh, they thought she was, um, 
in, because she was in favor of the Dakota Access Pipeline. You know, so that's, I mean, that's a situation where, uh, you know, certainly you have the, the, the senator, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it, there could be a point, too, where we add in, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super supportive of, of Donald Trump, and I'm super supportive of Republicans, and I'm, I'm, I have all these Republicans praising me, and now the Koch brothers are endorsing me, and I supported the Dakota Access Pipeline. At what point does a lot of the senator's progressive base just say, enough's enough? We're not, why should we turn up and vote for somebody like this? Who's not going to govern like we want anyway? Now, I think the dirty little secret is Senator Heitkamp's going to govern how they want most of the time. It's just election years. Right. She has to move to the right. And, and again, that's the tightrope that she has to walk. That's the high wire act that she has to pull off to get reelected. Now, she could do it, uh, or it could all blow up in her face, which is, I, I realize is a pretty broad spectrum of potential outcomes. I, I feel like it's not going to blow up in her face. I feel like this is... Like you said, it's something politicians do. I, I saw it back in Minnesota whenever it was election season, and I feel like as soon as the election's over, if she does win, it's going to be back to she will be a liberal Democrat, and that'll be that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I mean, I, I think that's what you're going to see. And, and again, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not unusual. I mean, I I, I tracked this back thing. with Kent Conrad and Byron Dorgan. Well, well I don't know. I I, I don't. In an ideal world, and maybe this is too Pollyannish, I mean, in an ideal world, you would expect politicians to get reelected just campaigning on how they actually feel about things and not doing I, – I mean, and I really think that this is a phenomena that's specific to the United States Senate, right, because they have those long six-year terms. In the House of Representatives, they got to get reelected every cycle. In the House of Representatives, they're in campaign mode all the time right. because they're always campaigning. In the Senate – you have that interlude where you're going to skip two election cycles where you're not going to be on the ballot before you're on the ballot again, right? And so during that interim, senators can move pretty far to the left, right? Or, or, or I guess, I guess maybe, maybe a, a, a Republican senator in another state moved to the left to get reelected and then moved to the right in the interim years. I think, I think it's it's something specific to the Senate, and I think it's something that where you have somebody like a Democrat like Heidi Heitkamp who's elected from a right-of-center state like North Dakota, sort of a red state, This that's what she has to do. That's the tap dance that she has to do is move back and forth. And it's not unique to her. Conrad and Dorgan did it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now we have more tools to be – and I, I think that's the problem Conrad and Dorgan uh, ran into and why they, they ultimately kind of jumped out when, when the political wind shifted against them. They kind of jumped out due to the advent of the Internet – and, and a lot of the activism that it's driven, politicians I don't think have enough room to move back and forth like that as they used to, which I think is probably why Senator Heitkamp may be even overcompensating, driving so far to the right. You know, I just can't get over the Democrats bragging about how close you got to stand to Donald Trump signing a banking deregulation bill. I mean, that just through the looking glass stuff. All right, we're coming back. Last Last show. I asked you, what can North Dakota do to attract more workers? We're going to have the Labor Commissioner, Michelle Comer, on next. Governor Burgum making an announcement about that today. More to come on the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM Hour 2. Happy to be with you. All right. So I've been, I've been off and on talking about workforce challenges in North Dakota because, I, I mean, it's a lot. I was just at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference last week. You have the oil industry. You know, oil prices are coming back up. Oil activities obviously ramping up out there again, and uh, their big challenge is finding people to come here and work. And the thing is, is that's not new to that industry. 
you know, any any industry that wants to grow in North Dakota, any industry that wants to come to North Dakota and start. I just had Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford on the program yesterday talking about the drone conference, the UAS conference in Fargo. That industry struggles with workforce needs. Everybody struggles with workforce needs. North Dakota is a great place to do business. I think we have the right tax climate. I think we have the right regulatory climate. What we don't necessarily have is an available pool of, 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 of labor because everybody's working. And a lot of times when people lose their jobs, they leave. So how do we solve that problem? Today, the Bergman administration uh, announced a new initiative. Uh, they're going, uh, the, their Workforce Development Council and the Greater North Dakota Chamber of Commerce, they're partnering on an employer survey to address the workforce shortage. Um, this is a this is a, a quote from Governor Burgum in the press release that went out about this. Workforce is one of the three pillars of our Main Street Initiative and the single biggest barrier to our economic growth. And we needed a way of finding solutions to this critical challenge. I think he's right. The single biggest barrier to economic growth in North Dakota are workforce shortages. Here to talk with me about that is uh, Michelle Comer. Uh, Michelle, how are you doing? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um all right. So first of all, tell us about this survey. What What is this? Sure thing. Well, if I might back us up just two steps, um, I want to tell you a little bit about the Workforce Development Council. It's a group of 32 right. uh, private sector leaders who are really passionate about this workforce issue because it's affecting them and their business. And we have been working since November to gather information, data, evidence, stakeholder input, um, including, you know, working with UND's um, Social Science Research Institute to understand at a really deep level labor market availability, economic impact of the industries um, in North Dakota today. And so getting to your question, this survey is a part of a discovery and information gathering process to help us very deeply understand workforce issues in North Dakota today. And with that comprehensive understanding, um, from there, we're going to be able to um, sort through that and um, hearing, you know, fr from directly from the source, from employers who, who can share with us what their specific needs are, um, that will allow us as a Workforce Development Council to form policy recommendations, um, recommendations for programs and partnerships to address, address the most critical issues um, with, a, with a great deal of focus. So the employer survey is, you know, obviously critical to that, hearing directly from the source. What are your issues? What are your struggles? How many jobs do you have open today? How many do you anticipate being open tomorrow? And with that comprehensive set of information, we'll, we'll you know, work on a path forward. All right. So the, the path forward, I, this, this survey is, is looking at, well, what do we need? The problem is, I mean, this, this isn't a new, and I'm, I don't mean this to, this to sound critical at all, but this isn't exactly a new problem. I mean, I, I remember going back to the Hovind administration, going back to the Schaefer administration, talking about out migration, talking about how do we keep younger North Dakotans here. Lots of lots of political leaders in North Dakota have been grappling with this problem for years. Um, I mean, is is there anything new to try at this point? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I agree with you 100%, Rob. It isn't a new problem. And, you know, recognizing it's not a new problem, what we're trying to do is take a new approach. And as you might have heard, um, you know, we're partnering with the Greater North Dakota Chamber of Commerce. We're partnered with private industry. Um, and to not assume or presuppose that we understand what the biggest and most critical issues are and working through the, the private sector with that private sector leadership, working collaboratively, cooperatively across agencies, across, you know, what may have tended to be silos in the past. We're really hopeful that we can get to um, policy recommendations that, that really hit this thing at its core. 
And that's what we're working on trying to discover right now. You know, you talk to talk to five people, talk to 50 people, and you're going to hear five or 50 different priorities. And yet when you boil that down from an economic perspective, um, you know, we believe that that priorities will emerge. We can't uh, we can't imagine that we're going to solve um, all of the challenges or address all of the, the challenges. But we need to understand, you know, if we address this, this and this right now and looking into the future, um, how can we maximize resources to make a bigger impact? Definitely. Well, I, I, I mean, so I, I asked this question earlier this week, and, and I honestly didn't didn't even know that 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 you folks would be making an, you know an announcement about this 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 thing. But I I just randomly asked on my my Facebook page, what can North Dakota do to uh, to, to get people to stay here? Uh, and I heard I, I mean a I heard a lot of people say, well we we ought to pay more, which I I don't know who the we is in that statement because this isn't communism private sector employers pay what they think is is appropriate to attract the talent that they need um but also a lot of people just talking about the weather is that i mean to me that seems key is the way north dakota is perceived i mean a lot of times we're perceived as being this this cold barren tundra now those of us who live here know it's not no it's not true but we're, we're perceived that way nationally that makes it really hard to get people to want to come here and I, I think it makes it harder so they, even if they know the truth, they're saying, well, how, how are we going to how are we going to recruit workers to come live in North Dakota? Yeah, great question. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm a North Dakota girl and I and I love it here. Um, my brother and my sister left. And, you know, that's exactly you know, that's one of the core issues here. And as you used a great word, perception, you know, it, it is a perception issue. And, and that's something that we really need to focus on. You know, as over the course of the last many months, um, I've visited with a number of individuals um, who have personal experiences in um, coming to North Dakota, non-native North Dakotans that have come to North Dakota and found great jobs and a great life. We had the opportunity um, this morning to spend some time with Raheem Williams, who's an economic researcher that's helping us with this study. And he is a perfect example of someone who is from Florida, and he found a great job with you and um, he and his wife moved here. They love it, and they've found you know just a lot of great opportunities here. And he shared his story that you know he reached back to his friends in Florida and he said, "You got to come here." And and the first response he got was, "Hey, is, isn't it cold?" You know, and so you know that is a it's a perception that we have to address. But you know we believe that there are a lot of ways that that um, you know that we we can highlight what's happening here. We can attract from other northern states. We were able to be successful with that through the oil boom. And then, of course, we're doing a lot of um, work on the Main Street Initiative and making communities vibrant, healthy, attractive places to live and work um, for people of all ages. And that's just that's really critical to this effort as well. Now, I, I think because the oil boom did something, and obviously, I mean, that's, that's not a replicatable situation, but I think sometimes that maybe we can – ride some of the the shockwaves that it created and, and that are still in our state one thing that it did is it made our state a lot younger um and because our state got a lot younger i think we, we've also had a corresponding baby boom in our state now over time those kids are going to be working their way through our school system and, and hopefully you know working their way through our universities i think the big question north dakota has to ask because it, it is tough there is a perception problem and it is tough to get people to come here because of the weather so i think the best people to recruit are the people who are already from here the people who grow up in north dakota and they know what it's all about and they get it how do we get them to stay here 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things I've had a really great time learning about in the last six months is, you know, these these jobs that we speak of, these 14,000-plus jobs that we think is at least double that, and digging into what kind of jobs are these. And the reality is these are great jobs. These are jobs um, that there's a great study out of Georgetown University McCourt School of Public Policy that had North Dakota in the top five of all the lists you would want to be on in terms of, of having great jobs that pay well. And um, they're what we're calling the new-collar or gold-collar jobs because they're not your traditional blue-collar jobs, um, but they don't necessarily require a four-year degree, but they offer a great, uh, a great standard of living. And I think that's something that we really have to focus on for, for the young people you know, here in North Dakota today. We also think there's a great opportunity to recruit people that are from North Dakota uh, back to North Dakota, you know, that there's there's a value proposition there. There's there that these are folks that may have left for an opportunity. Um, you know, they they have accumulated some great work experiences, and, and that would be a great population to try to recruit back here. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. So, so t- give us give us some of the, the trajectory of this survey. When is the survey out? When are you hoping to get the information and get it analyzed? When 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 will we possibly see this survey result in, in some actionable policy? Yeah, you bet. Great question. So the survey is going to be open for two weeks from today. And this afternoon, the Greater North Dakota Chamber of Commerce um, pushed out an email invitation to all their members as well as to their networks and partners. And so that's just step one. Throughout the whole week, we're going to be pushing out different invitations using various networks. We're going to be monitoring survey participation on a daily basis to see if there are regions or industries that are not represented. And, you know, using our Workforce Development Council members who are from throughout the state state, and in every major business sector to really um, aggressively promote participation in the survey. Uh, After that, we're going to take the next couple months and not just to evaluate the survey response, but all of the other information that we've accumulated to this point in time and yet other information um, that we're expecting here in the near future to to get us ready in the September timeline to be able to propose, uh, you know, some some policy, some the, the so what is what I call it, the so what. We've done all this work for six plus months. We're going to have a lot of information, so what. And that answer will be coming around the September timeframe. So I'll tell you, um, you know, because of all the work we've done to date, we do have themes emerging. Um, we have about five themes that keep bubbling to the top of, you know, what are these workforce yeah. themes that we're talking about. And, you know, the employer feedback is so critical to confirming those themes that are emerging, to adjusting them, to helping us get more specific on what those look like. But what those themes are, and they will come as no surprise to most people that are listening, um, one is jobs in in what we call the middle skills jobs, you know, these jobs that don't require four-year degrees and yet create great opportunities for, you know, for a great career, great lifestyle. Um, So the middle skills gap is one of our concerns. We know that we have a nursing shortage. We have had a nursing shortage for 25 years, but it is unique today for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, nurses are retiring and the population is aging overall, which creates a greater demand for nursing and healthcare. Along with nurses, there are the healthcare tech jobs, those jobs that don't necessarily, again, require a four-year degree, but are absolutely fundamental to the operation of our local um, hospitals and clinics and long-term care associations. Um, A third opportunity that we have is education and careers in cyber and uh, technology. 
a fourth theme that we are seeing emerge is that we need to do a better job accessing populations that have barriers to employment. Because to your point earlier, it is much easier to bring someone into the workforce who's already in North Dakota than to recruit someone from out of state. And so we have opportunity there. And then the fifth theme that we're seeing emerge, um, it was an opportunity to look at ourselves and to say, you know what, we as a state and, and partner agencies and partner resources can do a better job of coordinating our own resources of working across silos, of putting our resources in the same direction, so we can maximize and leverage um, to the, to, you know, to the greatest possible extent. I do and, and last last question. I mean, obviously, this is not this is not a new problem that our state has faced. Uh, we've had multiple gubernatorial. I mean, we could go back decades, probably legislatures, you know, gubernatorial administrations, looking at this issue. So it's not like it's not like identifying the problem is a thing we have to do. We know what the problem is. Given that, and I, I realize you do probably want to wait to get these survey results back, but I mean, is is there are there some policy ideas that, that that you guys are at least kicking around, saying, "Hey, this this might work," you know, depending on what we get back from the survey? Yeah, no, you're right. We really um, we have ideas, but we really need to wait for wait to connect those ideas the truth or the reality that's going to emerge through through the survey and connecting the dots to all the work that's been done. And, and to that point, I think what has been done in the past is we have taken a program approach. We've created a program um, to solve an issue or a problem, but we haven't necessarily um, expended the effort and the time and the energy that we're expending right now to understand if that's the right problem to solve right now. Um, you know, we know that we, we simply do not have the resources available to solve solve for every issue under the umbrella of workforce. But what we care the most about right now, and again, what's different, is we're trying to identify those priorities and form solutions around them rather than to create solutions to match a problem that, yes, exists, but is that the way that we can make the most difference? Um, you know, so that's, that's the approach we're taking. Well, good luck. A lot, a lot of people before you have tried, and uh, and and I mean, let's let's be fair. I mean, a lot of times solving this is a it's a it's a generational issue. I mean, you really got to think long term with this stuff. But um, I hope we see some progress. I really do. I do too. Before you go, do you have any advice? Um, you know, other other than other than I I think I think we really I think it's better to recruit North Dakotans. I, I think I think if we focus on that, I think retaining people in the state. How do we do that? You know, and a lot of the stuff, I don't I don't know, a lot of the stuff we've tried in the past, you know, tuition waivers at the universities, I don't know that that's really accomplishing. I think if you look at those students who got those tuition waivers, I don't know, I don't know that a big percentage of them stayed here. Um, so I, I think we've tried some things in the past to target that, uh, but I don't, you know, that would be my advice is to focus that. That seems like the low-hanging fruit, but that low-hanging fruit is still pretty high off the ground, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't absolutely. know. It's a tough one. If I If yeah. I had the answers, Michelle, I'd run for governor. But I don't. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the advice. We're we're doing a lot of listening, and and it's yeah. important. Yeah, certainly. Thank well, you. that's uh, I I appreciate your time. That's Michelle Comer, our uh, our labor commissioner. This is the Rob Report, nine seventy WDY AM ninety three point one FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Ben, I just had a friend who's listening text me. Said you realize you just started a rumor that you're running for governor now, right? <laughs> I mean, I you're the one who said it, not me. So yeah, that, that's all I'm on not. You. I'm not. I'm not running for any sort of public office. Not really interested in being a politician. I. I don't. I don't think I'd be a very good politician. I have a lot of policy ideas. I have a lot of obviously 
ideas and preferences when it comes to public policy, and I'm deeply interested in it, but I don't. I like it. I like my role uh, better than the uh, political role. Not 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 that being the policymaker is all that unimportant. So what do you think of that? I mean, what do you think of this initiative? And and again, this is coming in the context, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to jump up and down on what they're trying to do. I mean, I I think I think Governor yeah. Burgum is, is right. And, and this is a this again this is a quote from the press releases office sent out today. He says, "Workforce is one of the three pillars of our Main Street initiative and the single biggest barrier to our economic growth." I think that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the thing is, we've known this for a long time. I, I don't know what this survey is going to show us that we don't already know. I'm not sure about that. But, uh, you know, you were talking about people coming from out of state and the perceptions of North Dakota. I actually asked a couple of friends who uh, live out of North Dakota who are looking for work, uh, telling them about there's a shortage of jobs here. And the perception problem wasn't necessarily with the weather, but it's just they don't know these jobs are out here in North Dakota. Yeah. yeah they don't know that they're out here and they don't know what kind of jobs they are. See, and I, I think I think that is one thing that helped us during the oil mm-hmm. boom, is that the fact that there are so many jobs available in North Dakota got national attention, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are all these articles like, "Oh, go to North Dakota; they'll just give you a job." Burger flippers in North Dakota are making like seventeen bucks an hour or whatever ridiculous wage they were getting at the time, um, you know. And that I think that I think that helped. I wonder. I mean, I was just thinking. Cause she asked me. She asked me what I thought. I, I wonder. I, I wonder if that's not the secret. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing this out at mouth. It's not fully formed. It's just something. What if we just made, did things in North Dakota that got national attention? Right. What if, what if we just governed? I mean, cause North Dakota, I mean, we're, we're kind of stodgy, right? We kind of govern conservatively and stuff. And generally, I think that's the right idea. And I'm not saying that we need to like spend a bunch of money or deviate from that. I think core sense of fiscal conservatism, general, I, I say fiscal conservatism, our Republican legislature blew up the state budget during the oil boom. I mean, we got a tidal wave of revenues into the into the state coffers, and they spent every dollar that they could find. And they campaigned. I remember remember the federal politicians back there were campaigning mm-hmm. on taking the North Dakota way to Washington at the time. Like, oh, North Dakota's got budget surpluses. North Dakota's doing great. Let's take the North Dakota way to Washington. What does that mean? Because I think that means, like, finding oil under the Washington Monument and then spending all the money. I think that's what that means. Well, the oil so, thing with the Bakken, you know, there are the booms and the busts. And I think that's the other thing uh, my brother had mentioned was he's just not sure how secure it would be with something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take an oil job in North Dakota, is it still going to be there two, three years down the road? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I, I mean, that's that's the quandary. Um, and, and it makes me wonder, I mean, maybe North Dakota, we just need to do things that get the national attention on us and just say, listen, there are jobs here, right? I, I, I don't know. Like, like, make North Dakota. I was reading through the list of people who um, I was reading through the, you know, the list of people when I, when I asked on Facebook. I was just saying, well, what does North Dakota need to do to solve our workforce problems? And I got, I got a ton more. I mean, that's not a sexy question to put on Facebook. I got a ton of responses, a lot more than I, re- than I expected. And one thing, I mean, one people say, legalize recreational marijuana. And part of me wonders, okay, yeah, maybe. Not not just because legalizing recreational mono, uh, marijuana will have this this economic boom in the state. I, I think it I think it could be beneficial. But maybe just because that'll give us a bunch of national headlines. Like I, maybe that that's just something like 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 oh North Dakota legalized recreational marijuana. Like like maybe doing stuff like that. Maybe making North Dakota kind of weird. Right, like, like, kind of embracing some of our, our, you know, I, I don't know. So your own. Is any of this making sense? 
Burning Man Festival, you think? Just start that. That'll get people coming out. Maybe we could do a turn on it and like do it like on ice, like an ice fishing festival with like a big bonfire in the middle. I don't know. Except everybody I, I has to. I'm spitballing here. See, I don't know. See what happens first if the effigy burns completely or if it falls through the ice when we set it on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I think there's something that we've got to do to get people interested in North Dakota and to get people here. Um, and I think it's got to be something, uh, a bit more sexy than like a new advertising slogan and calling ourselves legendary or whatever. Like, I'm not really interested in that kind of stuff. I think, I think the time has come to get a little edgy. I think the time has come to think outside the box and to make North Dakota seem like, as unlikely as it is, a cool place to live. Because you know what? It is a cool place to live. I love living in North Dakota. I love the people. I love the communities. I think it's a great place. I, I think we've got to export that feeling. Until that time comes, though, I think we've really got to focus on keeping the people who are born here and who grew up here, keeping them here. I think that's important as well. Hey, it's been a year since the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, began pumping oil boy that was a situation that drew a lot of attention mm-hmm. in north dakota the, the the violent protests against the dakota access pipeline uh anyway today is the one-year anniversary of oil beginning to move through the pipe in the next segment going to talk with craig stevens from the gain coalition about that we'll take a break we'll be right back this is the rob report 970 wday am 93.1 fm we'll be right back don't go away welcome back rob report 970 wdym 93.1 fm so it's been a year since the Dakota Access Pipeline started moving oil. Now, we all remember the uh, violent protests against the pipeline, all the political wrangling during the Obama administration about permitting it. Uh, President Trump wins the election. He permits it. Construction finishes. Uh, and, and this time a year ago, oil began to flow. So here to talk with me about it, Craig Stevens with the Gain Coalition uh, they're one of the uh, w- one of the many groups, many organizations, uh, including labor unions, political groups, whatnot, uh, industry groups that supported uh, citizen groups. I mean, a lot of people supported completing the pipeline. Gain uh, was one of them and one of the louder voices. Craig, how's it going? A reason early on, so it was really good, to, really good to talk to you again. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, Craig, tell us how important this pipeline's been for North Dakota. So it's been pretty, it's been incredible. Uh, right now, it's shipping about half a million barrels a day. And if you think of that in context, the United States uses about 19 million barrels of, of crude oil a day. So that's almost, you know, a uh, 5% of, of, of the total pot, of the total volume is coming out of the Bakken right now because it's allowing the Bakken to produce 1.2 million barrels a day. So that's allowing us as a country to be more energy secure. And you see a lot of the the stuff going around around the country, around the world, you know, in Iran and, and with OPEC continuing to tamp down their production. This allows us to to not feel those uh, inflections quite as much. But for, for North Dakota, I mean, we just heard from Ryan Rauschenbaum earlier today that it means about 100 to $110 million a year in annual revenues to the coffers and also about $10 million in, in property taxes to local community. So it's a tremendous boon. Uh, for the t- for the for the tax coffers and also the the thousands of jobs that they will support because there's now shipments out of the Bakken. and you've actually allowed more people to go to work uh, in the oil patch to make sure that product's getting out. Well, and also to make sure that that product's getting out uh, in, in in a way that's less. I mean, let, let's face it, we North Dakota. One of the big challenges of the North Dakota oil field 
is that we didn't necessarily have the infrastructure in place, like maybe some places with with uh, that, that are a little bit more used to oil development. I'm thinking of Texas. I'm thinking of Oklahoma. Places like that. They've had oil plays a lot longer than North Dakota. They had a lot of the infrastructure. They had a lot of the the, the pipelines and stuff in place. North Dakota didn't. A big challenge to ours is we ended up having to put a lot of it on rail. That wasn't necessarily uh, the, the, the best way to transport that oil. Uh, pipelines are. Uh, now, that's, I mean, that's an enormous half a million dollars, half a million barrels a day. North Dakota's daily production is, is hovers around about a million barrels a day. I think we're north of that now. But, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, right around 50% of our daily production. Yeah, you make a good point about the rail cars. I mean, uh, a lot of this controversy that we were talking about a year ago, a year and a half ago, was about uh, the pipeline that was going to go under Lake Oahe. Yet there was 300 rail cars that were on rails transporting this product out, and it wasn't doing it as efficiently, wasn't doing it as safely, and wasn't environmental secure as, as the pipeline. So you, to bring that up is, is a great point. And the other thing that we see is you know, when those rail lines are being trafficked by, by crude oil and by other products, that raises the cost of shipping other products out of the, out of the Midwest, like especially if, uh, wheat and farm goods to, to the rest of the country. So by ensuring that we've got a stable uh, supply, a stable ability to, to ship crude oil out through pipeline, it was able to impact uh, the, the, the economy throughout North Dakota uh, and the country. And it's and it's not just I mean because right now oil prices have have recovered and you know we're we're sitting in a pretty good place right now and we're seeing production out out in the North Dakota oil fields uh, ramp up again and those are all good things, uh, but the thing we know about oil prices is they're volatile they go up they go down, um, that's just a fact of life. I, I I think one thing a lot of people don't realize what what the pipeline does is it makes North Dakota's oil play more resilient to those vagaries in, in, in the marketplace because we have such a, such a relatively efficient way of getting a lot of oil out of the state. More pi- and and let's, let's be clear, the Dakota Access Pipeline is not the only pipeline serving North Dakota, but it was a significant addition to the existing pipeline infrastructure that made the oil play in North Dakota more resilient and made those jobs out there safer as those prices go up, as those prices go down. They have less of an impact, uh, at least when they go down, on North Dakota oil production. That is that is a big, big deal for us. Yeah, absolutely. I know, uh, you know, I was actually reading in, in some of the reports coming out of the company, Energy Transfer Partners, that initially this is they were producing, they were, they were putting about 435,000 barrels per day. They're 500,000 barrels per day. They may actually go to 575,000 barrels per day. The, the line can handle it. Uh, and that actually is, is also beneficial to the workers up there and also to to the tax coffers. And, and I think that you're actually seeing a good, a good resilient response. And, you know, we see so much of this oil goes on to the, to the world market. Uh, and it just makes us less reliant on foreign sources of oil. And uh, it is, like you said, it's up a little bit now. It's about 60 cents per gallon uh, since last year. But that's, you know, it's actually tamping down the uh, overall impact that would have, but wouldn't have some domestic production, especially from the Bakken. Now, Craig, there there is some ongoing. I mean, we we saw just how vicious the opposition to this was. I mm-hmm. mean, we all remember it. It wasn't it wasn't a very happy time in North Dakota. I don't think anybody on on of any political persuasion or whatever outside of maybe some some factions of extremists were happy to see what was happening. I mean, just how ugly it was. Um, there is still a fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. I mean, there is still litigation ongoing 
in the federal courts. Where is that out right now? As I understand it, the, the Army Corps, the judge ordered the Army Corps to go back and, and do some enhanced, some extra reviews. Where are we at in that process right now? You're absolutely right. And so the Army Corps is going through that, going through that process. Uh, I think most observers believe that the Army Corps will come back with something that Judge Bozberg is, is satisfied with. Uh, if he were seriously concerned about the integrity of the process or integrity of the pipeline, he would have shut it down. And I think yeah. most observers think that that's unlikely. But to your broader point, these fights are going on all over the country. You know, these are folks who don't want us to use fossil fuels as an energy resource. And we need 800 million gallons of, of crude oil every day in the United States, mostly for our transportation sector, but also for things like, um, you know, our mobile phones, rubber production, manufacturing, uh, yeah. plastics, manufacturing, absolutely, and even our agricultural sector. So, you know, these are folks who want to kill the heart of fossil fuel energy by cutting the veins, and those are the midstream, the pipeline project. So we're seeing these fights all over the country. We continue to, to fight them, not nearly as big and as broad and as, and, as, and as destructive as what you saw in North Dakota, but but it is still everywhere out there. So we're fighting those fights every, every place we can. Well, we're certainly, I mean, we've, we've seen some renewed fights. I mean, after the Dakota Access thing, they're certainly not as... Uh, at this point, not as severe, uh, but we are seeing some more in the region. The Line 3 pipeline uh, in Minnesota. Uh, we have seen activists promise to have Dakota Access-style protests uh, against that line. Uh, here in North Dakota, Meridian is trying to build uh, a refinery um, that is, I, I don't want to say close proximity to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, because uh, that's not accurate, uh, but in that region, uh, and there's opposition to that. Uh, there's opposition. Uh, Andover, formerly known as Tesoro, is trying to expand one of their pipelines uh, down in that region as well. Uh, and there's growing opposition to that. So, I mean, this is the Dakota Access Pipeline might be the most famous or or I guess maybe we could say infamous of mm-hmm. of the, you know, the, the anti-pipeline activism. But, I mean, this this has become a tactic. I mean, it seems like every one of these projects is going to meet with some degree of, of just political pushback and protest this is this is just a new a new reality that we're living in now craig yeah it was anyway i tell you it was shocking to see this week justin trudeau the premier of of uh, the prime minister of canada decide that they're going to nationalize the trans mountain project i mean that is a, a, a it's a huge development in a, in a place where you wouldn't expect it and especially from someone from mr Tr- like mr trudeau who is not necessarily an energy maven right he's not an energy hawk uh so for him to step in the way of the provincial the provincial government, British Columbia, who was trying to stop this thing and said, you know what, we need this project. We need it for uh, the Canadian economy. We need it for the Canadian tax stream. Um, so we're going to step in and nationalize the project. And I think at some point they want to they want to sell it to a, to a private uh, funder, a private company. But at this point, he, he found it so important that they stepped in and did something because of these outright protests. And, and they'll get that thing built and then they'll, they'll sell it to, they'll sell the asset to another company to, to, to move forward from there. But it was a tremendous development on that. Well, Craig, I think it's just a reaction of a, a reflection of reality, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. using the, like you said, what is it, some 800 million barrels a day or whatever that, that America uses. Um, now, we can have a debate about alternative energies and everything, but the way things are right now, we need the oil. I can't afford a Tesla. Most people can't afford a Tesla. For most people, you know, driving an electric car is not practical. And here in North Dakota, I mean, I do you want to drive a car that only runs on batteries when it's 30 below outside? I'm not so sure that I do. Now, maybe one day the technology will change, and maybe one day we'll find some ways to use other resources in other ways, and, and that and that's great. I'm not against that sort of power progress. Mm-hmm. If we find something better than oil, uh, so be it. So goes the free market. Uh, but for right now, we need the oil. And if we need the oil to live our current lives, then I think it behooves us to build the sort of infrastructure to develop it and, and transport it and sell it and refine it 
um, responsibly. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think that's probably what's driving Justin Trudeau in Canada. Mm-hmm. Is all ideology mm-hmm. aside, at some point, you just got to recognize we need the oil. You're, you're absolutely right. Here in the United States, we've got 250 million registered vehicles. About 0.03 percent of those are electric, and it, it will take about 15 to 17 years to flip our fleet once we actually do have, to your point, economical uh, electric vehicles that that suit the needs of America. Just now, nobody wants to drive around a golf cart, right? There, we want to drive around and in vehicles that are safe and get us from point A to point B safely. And we also don't have the electrical infrastructure. People forget that, you know, if these cars or vehicles are going to run on electricity, we have to make sure that we have the, the electrical infrastructure uh, to support that need. And that, that is something that we are, especially with the closing of nuclear plants and coal plants all over across the country, uh, we're becoming overly reliant on things like wind and solar if you're going to listen to the environmental left. And it's just we, we cannot produce the amount of electricity needed to to sustain a vehicle fleet. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that we shouldn't be trying. You know, that doesn't say that that we shouldn't continue to let, you know, electrical generation involve. I mean, I don't have a problem with getting electricity from wind if we can make it reliable, if we can make it safe Mm -hmm. and everything else. I mean, I'm I'm all for progress, uh, but I'm also for reality. And we all got to live in the real world. Craig, uh, well, I think it's, it's great news. I think we should be celebrating a year since oil started flowing through the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's a big deal. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Have a great weekend. It's Craig Stevens from the Gain Coalition. This is Rob Port. We'll wrap the show up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Breaking news, Ben. Uh, Trump and uh, the leader of North Korea are going to meet. Yep, I'm watching it right now. Back on June twenty or June twelfth. June twelfth. Yeah, they're going to meet in uh, in Singapore. Um, well, not everybody thinks it's great. I I agree with you. I think it's great. I I love it. I think that if we can get if we're I think if we're talking to I mean this is this is going to be a greater degree. And by the way, the news earlier today, a a North Korean like a North Korean official was in the White House first time, mm-hmm. I think ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we've ever had a North Korean official. I mean, since, I mean, they had a two-hour conversation since, since the Korean War on the peninsula split. I don't mm-hmm. think that we've had, you know, an official, a North Korean official there. So we have that. Um, I think it's a good thing. I think you're right. Now there are some people who are saying, well, this is just going to give the uh, the Kim regime in uh, North Korea, you know, a platform and an opportunity to do more machinations. And I, I mean, I think there's a risk for that. I, um, I think but, there is, but I think. I feel like he's seen the writing on the wall that the way he's been going, the way like his family has been going since the country's beginning, it's not going to work for much longer. I think so. I I think there's realities in North Korea that are making them do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I think that's what makes this a good idea to me. I mean, if if we can transition, I mean, because the other thing is, is we continue to isolate them. So now they're trapped between economic realities, the reality that their, their, their nuclear um, program has collapsed. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's I think I think our general understanding, um, you know, there's I, I think I think the political situation in North Korea is becoming increasingly untenable. I think that country's ability to control its population in the digital age is becoming more difficult. So you have all those things that are crowding in on on the Kim regime. Right. Right. And then now. So so the Kim regime says, OK, well, we're ready to work. We're, we're ready to come out of the, the hermit kingdom, as North Korea is called. We're ready to, to come out and we're ready to talk. Um, and then if we shut them down and say, oh, no, we're not going to talk with them, well, then what, what options does that leave them at that point? Right. They, what are they left with? 
it's just not they can't keep going like how they had been. Right. Well, well, then, well, then I think that puts them in a situation where they've got to start doing desperate, awful things to try to stay into power, mm-hmm. and that's going to kill a lot of people. Yeah. And so they I would like rather, I would rather risk, I would rather risk the Kim regime. You know, I guess maybe scoring some sort of propaganda victory out of this meeting with President Trump. I would rather risk that and have that channel open and have us be talking than to have the alternative where North Korea continues to be isolated in an increasingly untenable position mm-hmm. and and awful, awful, horrible things beyond what has already happened in North Korea begin to happen. Um, that, so I, I think it's a good thing. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, and a lot of people, I mean, when, when it seemed like this meeting was off the table, a lot of people were making fun of Congressman Kevin Kramer and other, other Republican members of Congress for nominating President Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, well, and just, I can tell you, I still, I still think that that was mature, premature. Yeah. Um, when it wasn't just them, it was, um, I believe, the leader of South Korea, even like the leader, it, leader yeah. South Korea, even yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, I think it's it's looking likely there could be a really strong case, depending. And mm-hmm. and again, I wouldn't have nominated him at this point. I want to see the outcome of all this, right? But it's, I think there's a strong, there's a strong case to be made that maybe he might end up earning it. I don't think he's earned it yet. I wouldn't nominate him yet, but I think there's a strong case he could end up earning a Nobel Peace Prize from all this. So interesting, interesting stuff. That's it for me this week. Hey, Jay Thomas, broadcasting live from Wapiton. He's coming up next. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. You can catch me 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.